episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance with Dane and Christopher. And now, Dane! Thanks, Fink. Ah, that's great. Uh, I need to work on that impression uh, badly. Yeah, I'll give it up after a couple weeks. That was me. I'm not the Fink. Wish I was. Uh, maybe we can get him on the show and actually do a clip of that in the future. That shouldn't be too hard. I'm sure Howard Finkelman would be a wonderful guy to talk to. But either way, this is another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance uh, on for uh, the Geek Vibes Nation podcast network, um, where we talk about everything from wrestling, comics, to video games, even sometimes in conversation right before the show. Uh, like me and Chris did, and even basketball. They got a basketball show. It's on Wednesdays, guys. Check out all of our shows. Definitely get with whatever floats your boat. Tonight we're talking wrestling, uh, one of my favorite boats to float, if you will. And I am also extremely happy to have my co-host, like normally, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton. Chris, it's been a minute. Uh, last week we had an off week because there was a little movie called Black Panther out. It was amazing. And uh, before that, we had a guy uh, named John Morrison, I think. You ever heard of him? Johnny Impact. Johnny Gimmick name. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. What a great guest. It was, if you haven't checked that interview out, for those listening, definitely go back and check it out. It was an awesome interview. Uh, Johnny Impact was just an awesome guy all around to talk to. Uh, and when you say float, float wrestling, you know, floats your boat, so to speak, does it float your tugboat? Oh, yeah, it definitely does. It doesn't float my Shockmaster. Um, <laughs> God, watch that video. Poor dude. I forgot what his real name is, but uh, Tugboat, and he was also Typhoon in um, Dem- uh, not Demolition, uh, Natural Disasters. And uh, they try to get him to be the next big thing in WCW. And uh, they had this great idea. I forgot who was the one booking at the time. It might have been Anderson. I know he... Uh, I believe it was Ole. Yeah, I believe it was Ole Anderson. You cut out there for a while, and he also was doing the voiceover for Shockmaster in that video, like behind a, a curtain. I think the best part of that video is when Ric Flair's like, "Oh God!" <laughs> oh, dude, everyone starts laughing the whole entire time. It's horrible. Like, just be all right. Basically, what happened? If you guys didn't know, they they put a sparkly. Um, what the heck's it called? Uh, st- uh, trooper uh, from from Star Wars. Why am I stormtrooper? I'm blanking on a name. Very easy to me. Um, put it on his head. Gave him like nothing for a costume, and he was supposed to bust through a wall. Well, unbeknownst to him, there was a board in the wall that everyone forgot about, like by his stomach, uh, near his legs, basically. So when he busted through the wall, he tripped over the damn thing, and his helmet came off. Uh, it was it was awesome. If Psycho Sid's like. Um, expression on his face. He, I, I, he was trying so hard not to laugh. Uh, it was it was bad. But anyways, doesn't matter. Um, if you guys get a chance, definitely check that out. Though it's, it's pretty funny. But I hope that you guys are having a wonderful week. Um, Chris, let's talk about some wrestling, man. We got some uh, some predictions to do. Um, gotta like get into this a little bit, man. Before we kind of just like talk a little bit amongst ourselves. All right. All right, the first match, Chris, talk about 
is something that I was really hoping for. And it's funny because uh, one of the combatants, if you will, has had two other storylines where I was hoping for a lot with. Um, but it's Matt Hardy versus Bray Wyatt. Woo! Oh, God. Um, <laughs> this is not the level of Randy Orton, and this is definitely not the level of disappointment with uh, Finn Balor because that should have been gold, I feel. I don't know how you have the Demon versus Bray, the Eater of Worlds, but that didn't work out somehow, which is whatever. Fine. Now him and Matt Hardy, they finally have Jeremy Borash. It seems like everything's fine on their end. And yet WWE is not allowing Matt Hardy, or at least it seems to me, unless this is going to be a catalyst to them building for Mania. There's been no videos really except for the intro for Vanguard 1 that was not televised and the uh, intro online for uh, Senior Benjamin, which was not, um, you know, uh, on actual Raw or anything like that. So it just, what they've been doing is these stupid promos where most of us, have gotten to the point that even if we like Bray Wyatt, we tune out as soon as he starts talking because it's Ultimate Warrior-level garbage. It makes no sense. It's just rambling with him smiling like an idiot. And Matt Hardy is actually kind of getting hurt by it, or I should say, woken. Matt Hardy is getting hurt by it. Um, it seems like week to week people are caring less. I hate that, but I think the only way to do this the right way is since he's already had, I think, two losses to Bray, and then Matt eliminated him at Royal Rumble. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting Matt to win in some type of big way. Two things. Who do you think is going to win at Elimination Chamber between the two? And are you having as much problems with the buildup? And what do you think they could do to change in order to, you know, really put some work into it? I mean, the, the biggest thing was I didn't want him to go against Bray Wyatt right off the the bat. As soon as that was announced, I shit all over it. Like, you go back up. When that episode happened and we talked about it, it was the first thing I did. was like, I just hope they don't put him against fucking Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt hasn't had a good feud in, I don't know, two, three years, in my opinion. Um, I think his gimmick is kind of stale. It, it definitely hurts him when he doesn't have the rest of the Wyatt family because he's a cult leader, but he doesn't actually have a cult. Um... And the Matt Hardy thing, they haven't really let him get on the mic and become broken Matt Hardy in a way that people will take note of and care about. The thing that made it so unique, even if it's just not even just the the, the big long video packages they did in TNA, I don't think you have to go that far, but doing little vignettes and stuff can go a long way. And You know, Vince McMahon, early 90s, like the Razor Ramon vignettes and stuff. So I don't know why he has had such a hard time with... Uh, Getting a push behind Matt Hardy and trying to elevate this character, my only thing, I, I, the only thing I can think of is that he doesn't really believe in the character. And it's just kind of just like, we'll throw him against Matt Hardy, and then when Jeff comes back, we'll do a match with Jeff, and then we can do whatever Jeff Hardy who I think he has always thought was the bigger star of the two, which, and up until, you know, Matt's TNA run and their tag team run together, I, you could, I mean, that's definitely was the case. You know, Jeff was the bigger star, but uh, I think that, you know, people want to see completely broken Matt Hardy, but they want to see it in full, like, full force. They want to see Rebby, they want to see King Maxwell, they want to see Senor Benjamin. Taking the element, all those different factors away from him, uh, and just having him laugh hysterically at Bray Wyatt, 
go through the progressions of what the character should be is, is not the actual character. That's not what people care about. So uh, if you think about, like, we're we're one year away since the Hardys, but we're getting right close to WrestleMania. And you think about that pop when they came out and the delete chance and how hard people were behind that um, and how much steam they just lost off the gimmick because of it being tied up in lawsuits and with TNA and everything. That's the level it could be if done right. People will get back behind it. I don't think the gimmick is dead by any means. I think it's just more of highlighting it and, and you know, doing it really well. And I think Bray Wyatt was kind of the absolute worst person to put him into a feud with immediately. I think someone like Elias Sampson or The Miz or uh, – you know, someone that's decent on the mic, kind of a mid-card guy, you could have done some good stuff with Matt Hardy becoming broken. And then, you know, Bray having a reason to go after this broken or woken Matt Hardy, whatever they want to go by. But uh, I have Matt Hardy pegged to win this match simply because I, I feel like they're going to draw this out for WrestleMania and try to do something weird there. So Matt Hardy really kind of needs a win, or to me, there's no reason to continue. So basically, win or bust, because they are going to drag this out until Mania. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's frustrating. It's even even his version. Like Matt has proved himself time and time again, like the version 2.0 Matt, where he built up that whole entire concept. And what his rivalry with Edge is arguably because it was seeded with real tension between the two is one of the best rivalries I would say in the 2000s. Um, you know, it was it was incredible to 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 actually see something. I mean, honestly, the tension between the two of them was almost at the same level, if not more, than Sean and Brett. They hated each other, and Matt's been a part of that, and he's been trying to prove himself. He's been the ECW champion, which is great, but, you know, that kind of shadow of ECW wasn't the same. And it just seems like he's been constantly just put to second rate from his brother, and I love his brother. Uh, But broken Matt Hardy is pretty huge, and like you were saying, we're coming into a year where Mania, they came out and the place fucking, I mean, I'd say it blew its, its top off, but there was this giant stadium from what I remember. So, not exactly. But what I'm trying to say is that he's over his shit, and it just seems kind of dumb that they're not doing anything with him. And with this whole Bray Wyatt, it sucks because it's like he's sucking the life out of the opponents that he's, he's with. It's really not his fault. He's great in, in ring. You know, he can be a great promo, but it just seems to me that they just don't know what the hell they're doing with him. And um, unfortunately, without the Wyatt family, he's struggling by himself. He needs some type of resurgence with the Wyatt family. This would be a hell of a lot more interesting if he had a Wyatt family right now going into it because he have people to play off of. You, you could have segments where they attack Matt Hardy together and they're trying to possess him, like get him in the group. They could have done the same thing with Finn Balor hell of a lot bigger than just Bray Wyatt's this entity because we gave him the t- title once as a transitional champion and and he says he's a monster and looks like Tulu when he does that weird exorcist thing because of his dreads. Like, there's more to Bray Wyatt than that. And the whole cult leader gimmick's not going to work if you don't have a fucking cult. Like, I just don't understand that concept. And now they have the Bludgeon Brothers on SmackDown. I want to see them do their thing. Obviously, Braun's not going back to the Wyatt family anytime soon. But there's plenty of wrestlers that you could put together to make up the Wyatt family. 
And all it does is start with maybe one other member. And I think I hit, or I hinted at this last time that we were talking about the subject. Bo Dallas, I know he's in the Miserage, but if you really build this and just back in time and you actually do segments and really piece this together based on what happens at Elimination Chamber, and Bo, you can kind of get the, you know, the fact that it's the two brothers versus the two brothers, but also have Bo turn you know, oh, no, he's not going to be in the Miserage anymore. Who cares? They're barely using him. They've used more into this. Curtis Ackles get more of a highlight. If Miz wants more people in his group, they could have that. They could also have some, some tension between Bray and Miz to play out later on because of this. There's a lot of stuff they can do. I always said stick for revival with, you know, Miz and uh, Curtis and kind of do like a, a modern-day horseman type of thing with him, you know. Um, but they're going to do whatever. It's just very frustrating because I think that there could be a lot from this feud, just like I thought there could be a lot from the the Finn Balor feud. That's not going to play out, and it's just going to get more and more uncomfortable every week until Matt Hardy is completely fractioned by it. Then Jeff comes back. They say, screw it, or they go with it kind of, but they don't really go all into it, and we just have them back in a tag team until they want to put the belt on Jeff or something. Does Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of feel the same way, honestly. Um, I, I just I don't know what they're going to do with him, and to me, it seems like they're going to drag this out the mania, just like you said, and then try to build a feud between Jeff and Matt, and turn Matt more of a heel character and have Jeff win. That's or put them back together as a tag team. I, I, they just haven't done enough to prove to me that they actually care about that gimmick. If they don't get behind it, it's not going to move the meter for fans at all. So um, it just sucks. It's unfortunate because it was something that I think a lot of people were really looking forward to seeing Matt Hardy do that on a bigger stage with WWE's production level um, and writing team and, you know, his input, they could have done really, really cool stuff. But uh, like I said, TNA had a lot to do with that, with it being kind of held up in court, which causes to lose some steam, but Overall, it, it's just it's kind of shitty for Matt Hardy, Hardy and I, uh, with that tag team run uh, in both you know, Impact and Ring of Honor headed into WrestleMania last year, and watching the roof blow off that place when their music hit. Um, I mean, definitely the loudest pop of the night, and then seeing kind of where it's at now, where they're like, oh, he's fighting Bray Wyatt. Do we really care? And I think that's more of what it is: is that he's fighting Bray Wyatt. And I don't necessarily think the fans care at all about Bray Wyatt, which is bad. I mean, Bray Wyatt's a good wrestler. I think he's interesting on the microphone. I think he can focus it a little bit more, um, like channel like more of a Jake the Snake kind of character where you can be dark, but you still yep. get your point across of whose ass you want to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of just my overall general feel for it. I, for the most part, I agree with what you said. Well, why, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I just he, – he needs he needs someone to be able to bounce off of. Um, and I just feel without the Wyatt family, he's kind of like this weird dude that's like the, the crazy uncle that comes to the parties. And, you know, there's no crazy uncle that does that type of shit. But still, it doesn't matter. All right. Let's continue. Asuka versus Nia Jax. And what I would say is the weirdest stipulation, um, if Nia wins, basically she'll be added to um, the match 
at WrestleMania. Um, and it's for Oscar's streak. I don't think that Nia's going to win. Uh, if they do that, I mean, they could just pull the Band-Aid off and just have it something where she gets screwed over so they don't have to worry about it. To have the spectacle, spectacle type of concept as Nia being a part of whoever, which we don't even know if Oscar's going to go after Charlotte or not. Or, or if she's going to go after Alexa Bliss, or, or if, or she's going to go after whoever beats Alexa Bliss at the Elimination Chamber. We don't really know a lot of information. Um, I think Nia has come a long way, me and you, especially I think you, uh, for good reason. You scrap on her for being so damn dangerous, and it seems progressively like she's figured out a lot of stuff within this last year. Um, I don't have a problem with her being a part of the Mania thing. I just think that stipulation was kind of dumb. Like if you beat, if you beat her streak. Then you can be a part of it. Uh, ultimately, I think Oscar's going to win, and it's going to be a badass showing of how dominant Oscar can be. And then maybe at Backlash, I believe, is the next one uh, for SmackDown. She shows up and nails Charlotte, and it's going to build up to Charlotte versus her. I don't know. I don't see Ruby Riot beating Charlotte. I love Ruby Riot. I just don't think that's the way they're going. How do you feel about this match? And then how do you? I guess. I guess it's kind of like. What do you feel like the implications of this match is going to have on WrestleMania afterwards and the build-up to WrestleMania? I mean, there's two ways you can go with it. You could have – it depends on what they want to do, right? So if, to me, what they should have done is, like, if you're going to do it, if Asuka loses it, like maybe Asuka – they should have had it so that Nia Jax is attacking Asuka to build up to this pay-per-view but refuses to fight her in a singles match unless Asuka puts up her title opportunity. And then you could have had Ronda Rousey interfere in the match, causing Asuka to lose, and you could have set up, you know, Asuka versus Ronda and had Asuka win or had it go to no decision at Mania. That would have been the logical way to do this because the real question here is what Ronda, what is Ronda Rousey going to do? And if the answer is we're going to have her beat the streak or we're going to have the streak get beaten beforehand and then have Asuka go against Ronda Rousey, the fans are going to shit all over it if she comes straight in and they're watching Asuka be dominant for two years. Uh, And with her doing the WrestleMania sign point, it's like I don't know what they're actually going to do with her, what the plans are, but they would have to start getting her involved soon. So, more than likely, what's going to happen is Asuka is going to win this match. And I think you're going to see her challenge Charlotte because I, I'm pretty sure Alexa is probably going to retain in this Elimination Chamber match and build up to probably some kind of multi-women's match for Raw. So the smart money would be you could separate Asuka and Ronda Rousey by having Asuka win the SmackDown title at WrestleMania. And then, you know, when she finally does lose, her streak is broken, then she also drops the title whenever they want to do that. Um, so that's kind of my thought of where they're going with it. But the the big thing is, like, what are they going to do with Ronda Rousey? And to me, the answer to that is you've got, you need to keep her and Asuka separate, if at all possible. And moving Asuka to SmackDown, of course, would do that. I agree. I think that's exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And since you brought it up, let's talk about the signing before we actually go into the Elimination Chamber matches. We have the Ronda Rousey signing. Um, Obviously, you know, the whole signing 
process happens outside of this. It's just all a work. And because of that, since it's on television, on the pay-per-view, I think we're going to find out exactly what's going to happen with Ronda Rousey. Or I would, I would hope, you know, we'd finally, like, well, knowing, knowing WWE sometimes with booking, maybe we have no idea. We're going to find out in the next couple weeks. But if we go by it, I feel Stephanie is going to come out and start some shit because it seems like that's going to be their gateway into getting Ronda into this. I don't know how I feel about Stephanie, if, if this is all true, Stephanie putting herself as like, all right, beat the shit out of me real quick. I'll give you as much as I know, which I know Stephanie's not a horrible uh, female wrestler. She's definitely athletic. She definitely knows her shit. You know, she's not an amazing wrestler either by any means, but maybe a good first person to start off, especially in a tag team like that. We just have no idea if this tag team is happening between Triple H and Stephanie. Rock apparently is pretty much tied up with not a movie, but now because of what happened before him in the past, they make him sign contracts to stay away from wrestling so he doesn't get injured, which makes a hundred makes complete sense. So he might be contracted so he can't do anything. Then there's rumors that it might be Kurt Angle, which would be a lot of fun. He's also rumored to be going against Seth Rollins at Mania. So many damn rumors. I'm going to throw a lot of them at you right now, Chris. Um, uh, Braun Strowman's another rumor, um, which if they don't have anything to do with Braun, which we'll get to that uh, with the Elimination Chamber match. Him and Rousey, you know, he has like unfinished business with Triple H because of what happened in Survivor Series, yada, yada, yada. And then you have Seth Rollins, another person. Right now, and I, I said it online, I said on Facebook, this should be, this should be Seth Rollins versus, versus Braun Strowman. That's what Raw this last week told me. Those are the two top guys in Raw that everyone likes. You know, they should be the ones instead of Brock and uh, Roman, but we'll get to that. Uh, I'm not going to try to sound too bitter about it. But either way, there's all these types of situations. You have four different potential people to be going against Ronda. Could Ronda just be going against someone by herself? Like, could she just, like, you know, say, I want to go against uh, Sasha Banks or something? Uh, who do you think she's going to be feuding with? Do you think that we're going to see something involved with WrestleMania or what she's going to be doing at WrestleMania on Sunday night with her signing? I mean, you could have a weird situation where she somehow gets into the elimination chamber and demolishes everyone. I think you, you might get something like that. My main hope is when she comes out to sign this contract, her advocate is Paul Heyman because she's not going to be the best on the mic. And I feel like that's an easy way to work in Paul Heyman with a contract signing um, kind of thing. So maybe that would be the big surprise. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see her beat down someone. I think that they are going to go the route, uh, if, probably going to go the route of Alexa Bliss versus Ronda or Sasha versus Ronda. And then it's possible that she just beats Bailey's ass in between there because that's kind of like Bailey and Mickey James will just get fed to Ronda and kind of safe working environment matches to get her prepped for Mania would be my guess. But uh, the tag match thing, I honestly think they're going to just do Braun versus Triple H in a singles match. Uh, that That's kind of my guess, but it would make sense if they want to do an intergender tag match. But that's like the least believable match of all time because Ronda Rousey and Braun Strowman, is, as much as they built like Braun, it should be absolutely like fucking utter destruction of Stephanie and Triple H, you know? So that's my only problem Absolutely. with it. They, I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely – I think Kurt like, Angle makes a hell of a lot more sense for sure 
over that type of situation uh, than Braun Strowman. I thought the same thing. That's like death on wheels. There's no way you're going to be able to get past that. And I, I think there's other cool stuff that you could do with Braun. Um, I can't. I don't. I can't think of picture? like one. Yeah, I just. I mean, I get. I get what you're saying. I would much rather have it be Braun versus uh, Brock, but I, I have no problem with Brock having the title. I think he's proved himself. He's had some good matches. Yeah. Um, and he's not done anything to degrade the title. Him having a long streak is actually good for the belt. Like, I don't know that having Roman beat him is the smartest thing in the world. But if you have like someone like Samoa Joe or Braun Strowman beat him it becomes a bigger deal because of how dominant Brock has been. Um, I think they should have pulled the trigger on Braun way earlier or Samoa Joe. Obviously that would have sucked with Samoa Joe because he ended up getting hurt shortly thereafter. Um, But going into that match with Brock, I don't know if you remember, but like Samoa Joe had like three fucking awesome promos and kind of was on fire and everyone was back behind him. And then he just lost Brock Lesnar and then he got hurt. And I was thinking, man, if you if they would have gave him the title there and really let him show what he could have done, that would have been incredible. But uh yeah, I, I wish it I hope I I mean, it could still could happen, but I would love Braun versus Brock versus Seth. Uh I love that, that concept, yeah. Because <laughs> it gives well, it gives well, Seth just, and Roman both something to do, you know. Well, let's just talk about that concept right there. All right, we're going to get into it more in detail, but everything that's going on right now with Roman Reigns, and, and someone brought it up that it's amazing. I don't know. I don't think there were steroids, but there were enhancements. The fact that Brock was able to come back to WWE uh, for the stuff that got him in trouble with UFC this last time. Um, but at the same time, I don't really know a lot of details about what type of supplement he was taking, if that was just against UFC's policies compared to WWE's. Either way, steroids, steroids, and Roman's in a lot of heat right now. You know, the way that he lost to Seth, um, I don't, I I really honestly think, guys, we're going to get, don't get your hopes up. I love Roman. I really do. I think he's a great worker. I don't think that he's horrible and shit like that. Braun is on fire. Braun is literally uh, huge. Um, There's, like, not a lot of people that get the reaction that he gets in the business. I would say AJ and him are the two top guys between each brand. And I honestly think that Braun might have more steam right now than even AJ, uh, just from reaction. I'm not saying from, like, a technical level of a wrestler. But then again, Braun's pretty damn good for his size. Uh, He's, like, one of the last big men. He seems like he's the heir apparent from fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin of having that type of attitude. And now he's showing personality, you know, stuff that – it seems like maybe from him talking with Hulk Hogan that he suggested, maybe stuff that he just did live and people loved it. So WWE was like, you shouldn't have done that like a lot of the times, but we're going to let you do that because that cello scene, which that, the thing was not supposed to break. We didn't even get a chance to talk about was awesome. A lot of people complained about it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought the way that he destroyed the Miz and has the type of like, it, it, to me, it should be Brock versus Braun, Braun winning and being the champion, and I would love to see Seth Rollins and Roman get involved in a juicy angle and then lead to it. Man, imagine if, like, all of a sudden during the, during the course of their match, they're beating the shit out of each other. And then, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, Dean Ambrose, his music hits, he comes running out to the thing. Maybe he gets the guys to stop, like, fighting. Maybe it's after the match. After, maybe one of them won. Maybe it's Roman beats Seth and they're about to go at it again. He comes out, and then Dean, you know, is, is trying to talk to him and, like, whatever. 
and then out of nowhere, you know, you think that everything's resolved with the shield, and then Dean Ambrose turns on both of them, nails them with chairs, or someone for that matter. They could really play off this and have a lot of fun with it. Do you think inevitably, no matter what, with all the steroids allegations, with how hot Braun is right now, with, with how they're displaying, you know, uh, Roman Reigns on television, do you still think it's going to be inevitably be Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar at Mania for the title with Roman Reigns winning? Man, it's so hard for me to say no to that. But uh, honestly, with as much steam as Braun has, I think it would make sense to have him win at Elimination Chamber and have probably – is Seth Rollins in the Elimination Chamber match? I can't remember right offhand. Yes. If you have Seth eliminate Roman, and then that builds you a natural feud. Uh, because if you remember, was it – or, you know, I think was it Seth that also tossed him at Royal – or he got tossed at Royal Rumble. One, they tossed each other out at Royal Rumble, basically. Wasn't it? I think it was Roman Seth that got threw tossed Seth out. Roman, right? So, like, it would, it would kind of build off of that. So, those are the two – I mean, those are the two choices. Those are the two routes that they're going to go. It's going to be one or the other. I would highly doubt you see someone like John Cena or, you know, <laughs> like one of the other entrants win. It's either going to be Braun or Roman. And to me, I think fans would rather see Seth Rollins versus Roman, even though they've seen it before, than Brock Lesnar versus Roman. I could be completely out of touch, but I think they would be way happier to see, you know, a seven-minute absolute brawl with Brock and Braun again instead of, you know, like a slow trudging match with Roman and Brock. And then, you know, Roman, I would assume, would win the title. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I'm definitely leaning – I've started to lean towards Braun. I just think they should have pulled the trigger on it way earlier. And I think the only reason that they didn't is because of this, well, even though it's a year from it, I'm going to make sure that is what we're building to. It's like you can't book week to week for shit, you know, most of the damn time, but you're going to say a year out without having any plans of how you're going to do it. We're definitely going to have this and this. And then you have someone that's a phenom like, like Braun building within the raw, you know, ranks. And I mean, yeah, you can give them the title after WrestleMania. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, there's been a lot of wrestlers before they became champion. They had a year of building. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It just seems like right now, if you were to do that, it, it's just like the whole Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens thing. Yeah, they've had a bunch of matches, but like you said with Seth Rollins and, and Roman Reigns, they're going to put on a great match. WrestleMania should be a bunch of great matches. And even if we've seen it before, at least if we know that it goes that route, we're going to get a good match on our hands. And I don't know how I feel about Roman versus Brock. I think... I think Brock and Braun will beat the shit out of each other. They've done that before. You know, Brock lets Braun do some stuff to him, and then if he doesn't like what he does to him, he clips him in real life. So it should be a damn good match, and I think that him holding the belt high at the end of that thing would be incredible. We know John Cena and Undertaker is inevitably going to happen. I think that's more – I think this is going to be – this is going to sound maybe crazy to some people. I think we have a better shot – I've definitely seen John Cena and Undertaker than, than we even do with Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar right now because of all the bullshit going on. I don't know what's going on with the WWE people. This guy already said that he has, he's already proven two of, two of the three people, I think it was Josh Jamel was like the last person, that he proved he was right about it. And he said he has evidence. He's in jail. It's a piece of shit. 
you know, it sucks that Roman's going to get affected by this. But if this happens, and if this is already known, then maybe they are dimming that whole entire thing down. And I don't want to see him take a, a huge loss from that. But Roman's already had the fucking belt. You know, he, he, I, I don't think he needs this as much as Braun. But then if you put it on Braun, you keep it on him. If you put it on Roman, he's just inevitably going to lose to Braun. Uh, you know, what, are you going to keep it on him for a year? No, no one wants to see that. That'll be boring as shit. Even if he's doing it week in, week out, unlike Brock Lesnar, no one wants to see that. So, I don't know. Um, we'll talk more about this. We need to go over the Elimination Chamber matches themselves. We've kind of already talked a little bit, but let's go over the female lineup right now. All right, so the first women's uh, Elimination Chamber match, we have Alexa Bliss, the champion, because Kurt Angle's a sexist, versus Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Bailey, I mean, not Bella. But what happened? I burped at the same time I was talking. Mickey James, Brawler. Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville. All right, I'm going to go through, just looking at it for the first time, who I think it's, it's inevitably going to be, I think. I think Absolution, they're going to both get eliminated pretty quickly. I don't know. Maybe they put Sonya Deville all the way to, like, the last three. Mandy Rose is going first, I believe. Um, they've done too much with Alexa Bliss and Mickey James trying to make that an alliance. For me to believe they're not going to do something with that within the elimination chamber. So she's going to stick around. She might be second, but it'll be way further than Mandy Rose. And I think Alexa's going to screw her over a little bit. Uh, between Sasha Banks, I really actually would love this if it's the last three. Alexa gets beaten. She's part of the last four. She loses her belt. And then it's Sasha, Bailey, and Sonya Deville, maybe, or Mickey James, maybe. And then it's inevitably between Sasha and Bailey and they beat the living shit out of each other, and Sasha wins. I think that's how I would like to see it. I think Alexa Bliss is actually going to really actually win by being a heel. I love Alexa Bliss and doing that thing. I think that you can have a second match, though, not for the title. If you have Bailey and Sasha for the title, it's going to be an awesome match. They can really build up off of it, turn Sasha heel, make Bailey keep on doing this whole entire, like, tough-ass, stone-cold transition she's trying to go through, you know, um, and that's fine, and have the two of them, but you can still have Alexa Bliss go against, you know, Nia Jax, for instance, build tension between the two of them, do that whole entire thing. How do you see this playing out, Chris? I mean, I see I see they either leave the belt on Alexa or they put it on Sasha. And how they do it, I don't really care, but I do think that those are your two, only two people I could see walking out as the champion. And to me, it makes... It only makes sense if they're, like I said earlier, depending on what they're doing with Ronda and what the plans for Ronda Rousey is going to be at WrestleMania. Um, if we keep it on Alexa and she gets destroyed by Ronda Rousey, I don't think that that's as big of a deal as if you put it on Sasha and she gets beat by Ronda Rousey. Uh, I think that's a match you build to later down the road. And it could be a thing where they literally are like, we're just going to put the belt straight on Ronda Rousey. Uh, which I hope they don't do that, but it's possible. Um, because I don't know what that female title match is going to be unless you do Bailey versus Sasha. So I kind of am thinking Sasha is going to walk out champion and probably beat Bailey in Elimination Chamber, pin her. That would be my guess. But, you know, it's, it's, the Elimination Chamber is so hard to predict because I thought, like, Miz was going to be first out last year, and he had a really, really good showing in the middle of that match. And Bray won, and I had, you know, John Cena pegged. So 
it's just kind of crazy with, you know, what they end up doing um, sometimes in these matches. And I think the female division is up in the air because, like I said, I do think Asuka is going to be fighting Charlotte for the title and headed over to SmackDown. Yeah, I'm also thinking that could be a possibility. We won't know. We don't know if if Ron is going to be, like I said, in that tag team that's been speculated for a long time. Um, or if it's going to be, she's going to be going after the raw person, which would make sense. Cause like I, what you keep on saying, put Oscar against Charlotte, keep them separate. They're two different beasts on two different parts, you know? And, and I think that makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of ways to play out this next match. I don't know if there's as many, um, possibilities, but we have the men's elimination chamber, John Cena versus Braun Strowman versus Elias versus Roman Reigns versus the Miz versus Finn Balor. And versus Seth Rollins. First time there's been seven men inside the Elimination Chamber. Starting off with three, who I'm assuming that since Miz is one of them, since they just threw Seth Rollins in there, I would assume that Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, because of their pinning situation, would be two and three. To start things off, we know that Elias is the last person to enter the thing. Um, I think that this will – that John Cena is going to go – um, if they're doing this whole down on his luck thing, it would be amazing if a couple of them, you know, say Miz, uh, Seth, a couple of them actually, you know, work on Cena and eliminate him first. So, and even though me and you don't want this, if that's what they're doing, Raw, he shows up. I don't have anything for Mania. He goes, like, he's a shadow of himself. Gong hits, or maybe the gong hits during the match and that distracts Cena. Therefore, before he's about to beat someone, he gets rolled up by, by the Miz or something like that. Something, something very simple. For some reason, and I know it sounds crazy, people, I feel John Cena's going to go first. Um, I don't really know exactly how this is going to play out from there. Um, I hope this sets up, like we've talked about, Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. I hope Seth Rollins beats Roman Reigns or vice versa, so there's tension between that. It would be great since everyone thinks Roman's going to win if Seth gets beaten by Roman, gives him, like, the, the fuck you look like he did at Royal Rumble. They build that. Roman's all cocky and arrogant. And then Braun Strowman comes up right behind him, beats the shit out of him, gives him a, a power slam, and then one, two, three, Roman's gone. You're like, wait, what? Do the same situation like they did last year with Bray, but put it on Braun. If you get it between, you know, Braun and, and, and Rollins or, or Braun and Balor, there's a lot of situations you can go. I think Miz is going to cause Finn Balor the match for his part, which will drive them to have the IC match that's, that, that's rumored right now. You know, I, I hate knowing about this information, but that's how the dirt sheets work. Sometimes they're real, sometimes they're not. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be played out. And then there's Elias, who's like the, the what-if factor. He's on fire right now. I really enjoy his shtick. He's a great heel. I don't know exactly where he's going to be throughout this match. I just know he's probably not going to win it. Um, my money goes probably 75% Roman Reigns is going to win, 25% Braun Strowman, and uh, nothing for anyone else. Seth Rollins would be the next in line, but that's not going to happen. How do you feel about this men's match, Chris? I have it 50-50 between Braun and Roman. I would lean more towards Braun. The one thing I think that you could do with Roman to make this more interesting is have him be the first person uh, in. And like maybe like him and John Cena right off the rip as the first two people that are released from their pods. Um, and then have Roman last to the end and then get beat. 
you know, have him screw over Seth Rollins or, or vice versa, have him last to the last three and then Seth Rollins rolls him up in a pin and hooks the tights or something uh, ridiculous. Uh, I would love if Miz won, but he's not going to win. But I am going to cheer for him the entire match. Like, I think that this is 100% real. <laughs> so... I hope Miz at least isn't the first eliminated. I think they may be going the route of either Miz versus Elias or Miz versus Elias versus Finn Balor at WrestleMania for the IC title. Um, And I think that's kind of why they're pegged into this match. Uh, So I think you could see something develop between those three. As far as who's probably going to go out first, I would say probably either John Cena or the Miz. Uh, just because it seems like they're trying to push Elias and Finn, and they know it's not going to hurt the Miz or John Cena if they get eliminated first. Uh, Because the Miz can talk his way out of anything on the mic, and he's still the Intercontinental title holder, and John Cena is John fucking Cena. So I feel like those will be one of the two, you know, eliminated first. But I think the end is probably going to be, you know, Braun, Seth, and uh, Roman, brewing Roman, vice versa. Um, and then it's just a matter of who they want, whether it's Braun or uh, Roman. And it would be absolutely crazy for, you know, Roman to be the last pod released and that be how, you know, Roman gets eliminated, like Seth hooks his tights while he's ready to fight uh, Braun or something, which I think would be the, the obvious way if they wanted to go that route. People would be like, what the fuck just happened? It would be awesome but if you one of those moments like that wasn't supposed to happen, um, I would love that. I just, you know, I feel like if, if, if it goes a Roman route, I feel like what's going to happen to Braun to make him look strong. I didn't mean to rhyme. Uh, I can do it on a dime anyways. Um, but basically with, 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 with Braun, just have all the guys in the ring work on him and all of them give their finishers. And maybe the ending is, is Roman doing it right through a pod, like spearing him right through a pod, and then, like, I don't know, two of them jump on him. They've got to make Braun look strong if he's not going to win this. So that's my only fear is that his momentum might get smacked a little bit due to the fact that they're scared to pull the trigger on him. Um, or not scared, but like, they, they're, uh, their hands are full, you know? They could do a typical Braun-type moment and have him break the elimination chamber <laughs> and make him look strong that way. Like, they, I mean, literally this match might... This this match might start, and Braun might just break out of the fucking pod and start whooping people. Oh, that would be awesome if he just pod. punches through the damn thing. Just punches. I mean, because we're talking about like, Braun Strowman. The guy, I mean, he lifted a fucking semi. Like, there is no steel structure that's going to hold Braun, and maybe that's how you introduce Undertaker into this, because technically no one can get inside the elimination chamber, right? What if Braun yeah. fucking throws John Cena through the motherfucker? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many. Like, he could literally pick up like Elias Sampson and throw him through the elimination chamber. Like, there's so many things that they can do with the structure and Braun Strowman that I think will be done. That's going to make him look strong if he's going to lose. Uh, oh yeah. So I, I'm not too worried about him looking strong because I honestly think that it might be a situation where he just absolutely demolishes. Um, you know, the other thing is you could go Elias Sampson versus John Cena, which they've kind of teased and built for a little bit. 
And then you have Braun versus Undertaker, which I have absolutely no interest in. Uh, but that could be the other thing where you do like a, you know, this is just a looking option. I don't think they're going to do it, but he could throw someone through the elimination chamber, break it, and then holy shit, it's the Undertaker. Like lights go out, then Undertaker's standing in front of him or something. Of course, if Undertaker's standing in front of him, he should fucking have a chair or something because, I mean, after all, it is Braun Strowman. Well, I, I just know that if that were to unfortunately happen, well, the, the same thing with Cena. Like, Roman is a strong dude, but Braun's going to be able to make Undertaker look better than Roman could just because it's dead weight at this point because, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, I love Undertaker. He can barely walk sometimes because of his hip. I know he had surgery, but he's like, a lot of us feel the same way. It's kind of like how Hogan's now talking about, how he wants to have one more last match with Ric Flair in the ring. It's, it's like, what is wrong with you? I'm glad, I'm glad Flair's telling you flat out no, because that's, that's what he told him. Like, Flair won't do it, brother, but I think we have... No, just stop, guys. Like, quit hurting yourselves. I say that, and then Jerry the King Lawler and Terry Funk are still taking booking dates. Shit, I think Vader is, and he was supposed to... You know, he has heart issues. Like, those old guys, the mentality is crazy, but when it gets to the WWE stage, even The Undertaker should be told... We don't want to compromise your body for this match. And will it be really that great if you are a shell of yourself? You know, even compared to like, what was it, 10 years ago when he went against Shawn Michaels? That whole duration yeah, of time where he beat Shawn back-to-back and then beat Triple H back-to-back in those great matches? That was a while ago. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, I think Undertaker could have ended his legacy there and it been fine. When he walked out, him, Triple H, and Shawn in arms together, I think – that would have been fine. And then they could have started building a streak with someone else and they should have done it then instead of, you know, drawing it out as long. I mean, there were some good matches, but I think the year after he had that match with Braun, right. That was the next, not Braun, uh, Bray, sorry, Bray Wyatt. And then I don't remember what the next year was. So it was, it couldn't have been, Amazing, and then he went against. Oh, it was Lesnar. He did. He did Lesnar twice, and then he went against, you know, Roman. I don't know that there's like any reason for the Undertaker to have a match. Um, what I will say is it's kind of fucked up for people like you know, Daniel Bryan, who's been cleared by so many doctors, and they won't let him wrestle because they're worried about his health. But like the Undertaker during that last match could barely walk and they seem like they're completely fine with him having a match. So I, I don't know. That shit. I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't have any problem with undertaker if he wants to do one more match. It's just, honestly, I don't want to see him do one more match because my memories of the undertaker, even going back to a kid with him beating Hulk Hogan, like tombstoning him on a fucking chair is just this breaking his neck, brother. Badass. You know, ultimate badass monster. Like, you know, tombstoning people and putting them in body bags and throwing Mick Foley off the fucking off the fucking hell in a cell or, you know, beating Shawn Michaels twice. Like, uh, that shit is just, like, how I want to remember The Undertaker, and I don't really need these matches. And as far as, like, Ric Flair not wanting to wrestle Hulk Hogan, he said that all of the matches he ever had with Hulk Hogan sucked. So if Ric Flair was going to do one more match, it probably would not fucking be with Hulk Hogan. I, I think that if Ric Flair was going to do one more Terry. match, it, Terry would be the obvious 
uh, <laughs> when you can rekindle the. No feud. one wants to watch that though. Ugh. I still would, but, but I'm just saying, like you know, I, geez, you know what? If they 70. turned it into, if they did the you know 19, well, I think it was 87 or either 86 or 87, where it was just the empty arena, um, kind of brawl match. If they just brawled and didn't actually try to do too many wrestling moves, it'd probably be fine. Like if they just did like a hardcore match and they both got color, like it would still be better than like Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan trying to have a match. And like, you know how you go to it, Chris? Long. Huh? You put, you put them on a show on the network called The Wrestling Odd Couple and make them live together. And like you can get Jeremy Borash and Matt Hardy to produce the concept for it and then have them bickering and then build it to WrestleMania next year for a one-last-time empty arena match outside of where they're at, where the two of them just beat the crap out of each other at 70 years old, <laughs> and they're both bloody and broken and just destroyed. And I love Terry Funk and Ric Flair, but, like, all right, he almost died. I don't think Rick is planning on getting back in the ring. I, he regrets, even though he said he loved working with Jay Lethal, he regrets everything he did post the match with Shawn Michaels. To him, that should have been the ending. He shouldn't have gone against Hogan again. He shouldn't have had a feud against Jay Lethal. You know, that should have been it. And, I mean, I think that was originally a plan, but as we know, Ric Flair, with all of his different ex-wives and the amount of alimony he has to pay, that just became a financial <laughs> God. thing. Um, which is sad. So, like, if you told me that him yeah. and Terry Funk were going to draw, like, a Ring of Honor house show or something for a paycheck, I would – I would hundred percent believe that. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I, not that Ring of Honor would do that. That was just an example. You could name any, you know, federation. I mean, if you get those two and they want to do one more match, and it's just literally going to be a brawl slash hardcore match, and it's not going to be too stressful on either of them. I mean, that's part of the reason Terry's been able to do this for so long is because he adapted his style to that hardcore style. I'm granted he was still doing moonsaults and shit when he was in ECW, which is fucking nuts because I think he was almost 60 then. Insane. But I wonder, know, I wonder if there's a bunch of legality issues though for a wrestling organization to let two old geezers like two of them jump in a ring together. More so with Flair, like I said, he almost died like you know less than a year ago. So it's like I I don't even know. I don't know how we got on this conversation. I love it because. I still kind of want to see it. Like Terry's like, you know, calling the match like, all right, you old piece of shit. Now get in the damn corner so I can punch you, you know, and they go back and forth and shit. I think that that would be great. Uh, You know, Ric Flair just doing the whole Ric Flair. I wonder if he can do, still do the Ricky Steamboat thing where he gets, he gets tossed over the rope, jumps up, runs, goes to the top of the rope, then gets slammed on his back, you know, sells it like a motherfucker. I don't think so. I think that would be a bad idea to do, but you know, who is a wrestler that's still in his, Okay, you can finish. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I could just like imagine it now because Ric Flair's like, you know, that the, the ass cheek hanging out and Terry Funk just oh fucking God. lighting a branding iron on fire and <laughs> branding <laughs> Ric Flair. Like, totally. I'm here, Rick. <laughs> I want to burn your ass. There's a really funny story with Dusty Rhodes talking about a fight with Terry Funk where Terry Funk was doing the gimmick with the branding iron where he wraps a towel around it. And apparently Terry swung it too hard and it flew out in the front row and landed on some old lady and caught her on fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's on uh, the uh, – I wonder if Jerry ever legend, lit someone fire with, with his I – wonder, I wonder if uh, Jerry accidentally ever got, like, someone he shouldn't have, like a cameraman with his fireball back in the day. 
Oh man, those guys are crazy. I love Terry Funk though. <laughs> he's he's a crazy old man. He's he's great my though. He's one of the greatest wrestlers of all, of all time. time. But my you know favorite, the, the funny thing favorite. is like one one of the most aggressive, dominant style wrestlers. You know, such a badass, especially like yeah, kind of like not a Stone Cold twang, but like him, Piper. They were brawlers. They were like these. But he's such a nice guy, and like you know, of course, throughout his career, people started. That's how it works. People start loving him, and then he's more like the uncle, the really, really nice uncle that gets you the awesome Christmas gifts, you know, that that that's just just badass and gives you like a five and tells you like go over there and gives you a sip of a beer or some shit like that. But he he started off as such like a a, a ruthless heel, which is great, you know, Dusty sucks eggs and all that type of shit. But I love Terry Funk. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I do want. I, I will go ahead. I would say the same thing about Dory, and that tag team is phenomenal. Not to get too off topic, but I've met both of them. They're both extremely fucking nice people. Terry Funk's awesome. My favorite of all time, probably. And they also have taught a majority of the wrestlers that we've loved from this last generation with Edge, Christian, you know, the Hardy Boys. All of them went through Dory's little boot camp situation thing, and, you know, obviously all of them uh, definitely – respected the shit out of him and uh, learned a lot from him if you can't tell. So that's good. But I, I just, I'm sorry. I just, I, we have to talk about the Seth Rollins thing. I thought I, I, I'll just ask you right away. You know, how did you feel? Do you think it was maybe like a triple H thing? Like he was like, Hey dad, hold on one second. We're going to try a different format tonight. We're just going to see if we do wrestling straight for two hours. If the, and I don't know what happened with the ratings. I haven't checked it out yet. All I know is the audience was on fire for most of that match. They had a little bit of like a pause period between Elias and Finn Balor, which I don't think it was the guy's fault. You know, it just, it was, it kind of, after Seth Rollins and him going through John Cena and Roman Reigns back to back, pulling a Jericho, if you will, because Jericho always has that. He can now say that from now on for the rest of his career. Jericho always goes, I beat Stone Cold The Rock back to back in one night. He can say, I beat John Cena and Roman Reigns back-to-back in one night, and I'm sure he will. That's a pretty awesome accomplishment. Seth Rollins is a monster, and I love that they're helping push him uh, back to the top where he probably belongs, and I thought it was an amazing display. I can't believe they did that. I love the interviews in between with each wrestler, you know, after they lost, like giving a – it seemed like it wasn't scripted, like it's on-the-spot type of thing. Love Seth Rollins about, like, you know, it doesn't matter about the accomplishment – still lost, you know, how he, how he said the type of stuff. I just, I thought that was great. I thought the third hour definitely struggled because of the first two. Maybe they're saying they don't really give a shit because it seems like they're probably going to be condensed two hours uh, once either the re-signing for USA happens or wherever they decide to go. But either way, how did you feel about them doing wrestling as opposed to a bunch of bullshit storyline stuff for two hours? I know the gauntlet match didn't really make a hell of a lot of sense. And how did you feel about Seth Rollins' you know, his performance throughout the whole entire thing, and everyone's for that matter. The weirdest thing is, like, to me, a gauntlet match is where one person has to beat ten other people. Like, when Stone Cold used to have to do gauntlet matches. Not like one per- like that one person loses and then another person subs in, kind of like Royal Rumble, which was weird. So the, the rules of it was weird, and that threw me off. But the actual wrestling and what they were able to accomplish with just doing wrestling for two hours was fucking awesome. And Seth Rollins was on fire. The fact that he was, you know, like they say like an hour and six minutes, like the longest single performance on Raw, I think is what they said. The longest match performance since like Shawn Michaels in WWE. Like going back to the Iron Man match, he was longer than the Iron Man match. 
I think they're really trying to build Seth Rollins. I think it makes sense with Roman and Seth at WrestleMania. I thought he was incredible. I thought all the participants in that match were great and kind of had their own spots. I thought Elias was pretty good. Um, I really enjoyed it. But, like, then again, that's the part of wrestling I like, you know, the actual wrestling. And I did like the interviews in between when, you know, someone lost. It was like a real quick thing. They got it out of the way. And if they do that week after week, people will start tuning back in. It doesn't need to be ridiculous and comedy-based driven. I know, like, some of their biggest stars and some of the people that are, you know, the most drawn to are are characters like The Rock. But for so long, they've kind of relied on people who could talk, doing, like, comedy gimmicks and filling time. And I think wrestling fans have changed where your audience is obviously not as large as it used to be because there's more product out there, really good products like New Japan and Ring of Honor, um, and even Impact to some some extent. Uh, and you, like John, like Johnny Impact and John Morrison was saying, there's so much wrestling everywhere. People are on the internet. They're tuned in with their favorite wrestlers. They're watching all of that stuff. So if you're not giving a consistent product, people are only going to tune in for the pay-per-views, uh, which a lot of diehard wrestling fans I know have said that recently. They're like, oh, I only watch like the go-home shows and the pay-per-views now. So, I mean, that's I'm glad they put that direction in wrestling. Hopefully, it paid in the ratings. Like, people actually tuned in and said, oh, there's actual wrestling happening. And they didn't change the channel, and they kind of stuck with it because I thought it was pretty great. Um, as far as how it happened or why it happened, I have no idea. But it is really weird that they had him do, like, the Shawn Michaels Iron Man thing. It would be kind of interesting if building up to WrestleMania, they had kind of back-to-back matches with him and Roman and they built to an Iron Man match or something. Maybe not like a 60-minute one, but like a 30-minute one or something. Uh, that would, that be, would awesome. be something interesting. But I, I don't know if they're going to do that. I just thought that that, like, that was the first thing I saw coming out of that, was that like people were like, holy shit, Seth Rollins was in a WWE ring longer than the last person to do it that long. Which was like, you know, Sean, Sean and Brett was like 63 minutes. I don't know yeah, if that stat is the, actual. Uh, overtime. Like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's like a true fact or not because it's WWE. Just like, you know, Sheamus beating uh, Daniel Bryan was supposed to be like the fastest pit of all time, but they kind of botched it. So it was like seven seconds instead of four seconds or whatever. So I, I don't know. WWE likes to kind of gloss over some of that stuff. So if I'm wrong about like that stat, it came from WWE. Don't get mad at me. Yeah, blame um, blame blame Coachman. He can he can take some shit. He can take some heat. He's new. Um, but yeah, I I completely agree. Two questions to throw at you. Um, like I was insinuating, you know, due to the fact that now he's taken over Two Hundred Five Live, it seems like slowly him and Stephanie are going to be taking over SmackDown. And they said the Triple H now with this whole entire him slowly taking over, him building people a part of his team. Like he was the reason why Jeremy Borash got a job there because apparently he sees them as possibly his new mean Gene Okerlund and, and building different commentating teams like Corey Graves is one of his main guys. You know, Triple H now having even more presence on Raw. Do you think this was, like, not a bet or anything like that, but do you think this was something where Triple H was like, why don't we fucking try this and see what happens? And if the ratings go down, it'll be one week. But we try and we do what you do, you know, and ratings are down uh, sometimes from your format. So why don't we see if people like the wrestling and the other part of that, Chris, before I send it to you, is there's people actually out there that 
kind of got bored from the match, from what I hear. And that's because it was too much wrestling. Um, how the fuck do you appease those douchebags? And yes, you are douchebags. I mean, I think they got bored because of the format of the match, not because that there was a lot of wrestling. The format of the match, like I said, was really weird. And I think that was the biggest hindrance of that entire segment, is that, like, one, they've never kind of, I don't remember a time they've ever done a gauntlet match in the format that they did that gauntlet match. I don't, I could be completely wrong, but, like, all of the gauntlet matches I remember in WWE history was always, like, you got to beat these five people to get a title shot. And it was usually, like, Stone Cold or The Rock. <laughs> and the matches only lasted like 15 or, you know, 15 or 20 minutes with the last, the big threat being like the big show or, you know, like whoever was part, whoever was in McMahon's pocket. And that's how I remember Gotland matches. So I think the format itself kind of threw people off. They're like, what the hell is even going on here? Like, why are people, it's, it's almost like that tag team hell in the cell match where like the rules weren't very well defined. It wasn't really set up ahead of time. Um, I don't understand people saying that they're bored of watching the wrestlers wrestle. Uh, I think that I would, I would say the majority of diehard, like the, the target, the target audience or the audience that makes up the majority of their fan base are people our age. And we're the kind of people that listen to wrestling podcasts and actively go out and watch other wrestling from stuff. That's not WWE. Like the biggest part of their audience likes that wrestling. So it's like, you know, the 20 to 30% that are there just for the entertainment of WWE, like kids and stuff, doesn't make up the majority of their audience. And I think that will reflect in the ratings next week. Not necessarily this week, but if I think that you will have people tuning in that haven't tuned in in a long time because they heard about how long this damn match was and how it was just straight two hours of wrestling. And I saw people online, you know, some diehard uh, wrestling fans who were, who have shit on WWE wrestling because of the lack of wrestling. And then they go to this and they were like, you know, Raw is not always the greatest thing to watch, but actually watching Raw for two hours and it being mostly wrestling was great. And I'm not saying that you have to do like match, 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 match in a ring of honor format, um, like their weekly TV show. I think that you can narrow down the vignettes. I don't think you need as much comedy. I don't think you need like, Miz TV or, you know, like whatever Jericho's thing used to be basically a recreation of Piper's Pit. I don't think you need stuff like that. I think you build interesting feuds based off wins and losses. And I've always said that. And I kind of, you know, stick by that. And I think when you're asking about the ratings thing, I think you're hundred percent right because they're re-upping for a TV contract. So if they spike that number, it's better to take a risk now going out of your contract. If you spike that number up, you can point to those numbers and go, Hey, look, we, did this over this many hours or during these two primetime hours being, you know, eight, nine o'clock um, before the news comes on at 10. Uh, I think that, yeah, there's definitely, there's something to that. And it's, it's interesting. Well, I, I don't want to get too excited about it because I want to see how they follow it up after elimination chamber. Cause usually the show after the pay-per-view is a lot of fucking talking and resetting feuds. And depending on how, what the outcome of these matches are, that's going to dictate how that show is. My hope is coming out, like going into Elimination Chamber, having this big match with all of these big name stars on Raw. You go into the Elimination Chamber, you build feuds out of that match 
and then you just have those matches on Raw, and you give these people a reason to talk shit about each other. And, uh, I mean, basically, you know, New Japan the shit. Like, have more matches, keep the promos concise, do press conference stuff, do something different than what they've been doing, and at least make it different for a little while. Um, and if it doesn't work and we're both fucking completely crazy and people actually do, you know, like watching the Miz interview people to set up matches between other people, um, maybe that's, you know, the thing. But I think at the end of the day, the, the format that's always worked, good guy, bad guy, promo, short promo, building to a match. And you can have character flair, and I'm not saying, like, completely throw entertainment out the fucking window, but I don't need 45 minutes of filler on Raw, and I think when they go down to two hours, this will be less of a conversation, but with it being three hours long, having that much wrestling in the first two hours is a fucking huge plus. And I think Nitro was really good at that uh, when they were a two-hour show, because the first hour would be all, you know, cruiserweight U.S. title matches, and then you would have, like, your NWO segments in between that, and then you would have your main event match. I agree. And, you know, whether this goes back to Hunter or not, I like what he's done with NXT a lot. Um, I think I, I can't stop saying that. And now, you know, you, you watch 205 Live, and he's the last couple of weeks since he started – Obviously, they're doing the tournament, but it's been all wrestling-driven, and it's, I think it's, it's making it much more, you know, I, I like characters. I, I, like, I like seeing certain feuds and situations, but like you said, when you've got 30 to 45 minutes of filler between a three-hour format, or, you know, what hurts SmackDown a lot of times, those intros that go on for about 30 minutes when you only have a two-hour format, you know, it's, it's, it, you've got to stop it. There's got to be a better way to do it. I like the way New Japan does it. I love the way, um, you know, from what I've seen from a couple matches during Impact's heyday, whether it be Smojo versus Kurt Angle or AJ Styles versus Rob Van Dam, they kind of have, they embraced how popular the UFC was, it seems like, and did stats. They had a, um, not a top 10, but they actually had a real standings of each wrestler and stuff like that to create more of like a real feel to it. And uh, New Japan's good with that with the press conferences. I would love to see that. NXT tries to explore that. They don't do it to the best, uh, you know, well, in Japan, they're actually using a lot of actual reporters. Obviously, NXT is staged. It's just they're chilling at the, uh, the performance center. But still, it's like there has to be a change. You know, I, I feel like because we, we get comfortable with what the Attitude Era gave us. Um, but if you look at it, the thing that was killing the WWE during the 90s was how fluff-filled it was getting. It was good storylines that got him through that, that, uh, that whole entire thing, but it was still good wrestling in the Attitude Era as well, and it got way better with the Ruthless Aggression Era. Um, so I, I just feel like they can do a lot um, to make the product better, and uh, I hope to see that happen. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really know. How do you feel about this this whole pay-per-view thing, how they're going to be, you know, downsizing pay-per-views, going down to um, not, you know, per-brand, but co-branded pay-per-views? Do you think that's a good thing, like we don't need as many? Or do you think that's a bad thing, like it will hinder the amount of talent now that we're all going to force everyone to be on one pay-per-view uh, as opposed to having their individual stuff? Because now – Right now, even when like, we're looking at Elimination Chamber, there's a lot of guys that we know is not going to be a part of it, even on the pre-show, 
because they have no room for them. Uh, how do you feel about that, Chris? I mean, I think the honest answer is merging the brands and then ridding out some talent, as unfortunate as that sounds. Uh, I, I was never a fan of the brand split in general, so I'm fine with them doing a pay-per-view. What I don't want it to turn into is it being like, this pay-per-view is going to go from 6 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Every pay-per-view. Like, every big pay-per-view they do, that's kind of how you have to start watching the fucking thing at 6 or you're going to miss the pre-show matches. And a lot of times when we come to do the reviews, I'm like, I had to go back the following day and watch the pre-show matches if we even talk about them because that is a huge dedication of time. That's more dedication of time than the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, And that's including yep. if you start drinking at 5 or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> for the Super Bowl. Like, if you pre-game for the Super Bowl, it's still not as long as WrestleMania is going to be. Like, um, which is good and good in bad. I kind of wish if they were going to do it, they would go the format of splitting it across multiple days. Um, I, I, I like, I like that idea, splitting it across multiple days, doing it Saturday and Sunday and doing, you know, two hours of each, putting it on the network. That way, if for some reason you couldn't watch it on Saturday, you could always watch it on Sunday vice versa, or you, you flip it and you do, like, do something weird. Do it on, like, you know, like New Japan does theirs on sometimes on Thursday and Friday, which there's a time difference, but I, I think splitting it is better than having, like, these long five-hour shows, and if you're merging brands, every one of these shows, unless you get rid of some talent and you, can, and you, bring, your, and you bring it down to a smaller roster, and you build better storylines based on the roster you have, and you keep the top guys. And that sucks because a lot of people will, you know, lose their jobs, which I'm not hoping for um, at all by any means. But the six-hour, if, if each one of these pay-per-views are going to turn into a six-hour thing, that shit is going to flop hard. Um, if they're talking about doing, by, like, a monthly, like one month is Raw, one month is SmackDown, and they can build storylines for eight weeks... I think you can get some really, really cool feuds out of that. And I think that's a really good way to go. I don't know what they mean by saying they're going to, I know they're saying they're going to stop doing bi-monthly and do co-branded pay-per-views. My hope is that they don't do so much of that. And like, as far as it being six hour shows and they find out a way to balance pay-per-view, you know, every six weeks, as opposed to what's right now, it's one every three for each brand. It's two pay-per-views like, Basically, two almost two pay-per-views a month. One's at the beginning and one's at the end. That's kind of how it rotates out. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting this year to see how that works out exactly. I don't really know. Um, but we'll continue. Uh, talk about Dolph Ziggler a little bit, Chris. Uh, so Dolph got at least partially what he wanted. Uh, well, he wants to be a main event wrestler. He's kind of said that many times. Uh, he also wants to pursue a comedy career, which I can't give him too much shit because I haven't seen any of his stand-up. Um, but he was thinking about leaving. He was on Edge and Christian, unhappy. We all know that Dolph Ziggler is a great worker. You know, he's a great wrestler. I think his primary best thing, and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, when Kevin Owens, and you can watch it in slow motion, um, 
Kevin Owens gave him that super kick on um, Thursday during their match to the back of the head and basically just hit his ear and kind of like kind of grooved off the top of his head. The way Dolph sells is incredible. And the fact that he gave him dead weight, like Kevin actually had to use his strength to like, you know, put him over to pin him. That's the type of stuff that wrestling fans and wrestlers are going to notice a lot. And we appreciate that. You know, I compared him to Kurt Henning and I think that career wise, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley called him a good little worker, and that's actually not the best term in the wrestling industry because usually those are the guys that they know they can give great matches and put other guys over, but they don't ever really push too much. And Dolph's won his his fair share of titles. Don't get me wrong, but he was on fire when he got the uh, the the Money in the Bank not too long ago when you then he cashed it in, and they didn't really do anything. Um, I think they had the same problem with uh, the IC championship going to Zack Ryder, and they, they, they had momentum, and then they had him lose to the Miz. Uh, but Dolph specifically, he's getting a contract similar to Randy's, um, not similar to Cena's, because John still says to this day that when he goes to shows, he stays until the end, and that's you're supposed to be the first one there, last one out. That's his mentality. But Dolph, you know, he's got a family. Basically, if he's not needed – and as soon as he's done with his stuff, he can go and get the hell out of there and do what he wants. And, you know, to an extent, especially with the pay increase, I think the man deserves it. I'm just wondering if they're planning on putting the title or if they just – it's like hush money to an extent uh, with Dolph Ziggler. But, you know, they are pushing him right now. I don't know where he's going to land at Mania. It better not be against Nakamura just because we've already seen that. It wasn't that great. And we all want AJ versus Shinsuke for the title. Um, I'm just wondering what Dolph's, Dolph's year is going to look like post-mania. Um, how long they got him for a contract. Why exactly WWE is so much catering towards him. Uh, you know, like I said, when he was on Edge of Christian, he was he complained a lot. He goes, he has no problem enhancing talent and helping them out, but at the end of the day, it's like he really wished he was in the title picture. And I understand that. So, Chris, what do you think about Dolph's new contract? Um, and what do you see for the foreseeable future for Mr. Ziggler as far as the title scene? I think that they look at someone like Cody Rhodes and they worry that Dolph Ziggler would be a big get for other competition. And that's why they paid him. I don't think that they have a ton of plans for Dolph Ziggler. It'll probably be very similar to what they're doing with Dolph Ziggler now. But he'll be locked into a contract and they'll be paying him more money. That's how I feel about it. I don't think they have any clue what to do with Dolph Ziggler. I could be completely wrong. They could do a roster shakeup. They could move some stuff around. See him probably feuding with Sami Zayn and Baron Corbin. It just depends on whether they turn him face. He's going to be in the U.S. title picture. Probably. Maybe Bobby Roode, that kind of thing. Hopefully Bobby Roode elevates out of that if they actually let him be Bobby Roode like he was in NXT. But honestly, I, I, I really do think that they look at someone like Cody Rhodes and they look at someone like Dolph Ziggler and they realize how damn good he is and the thought of someone like Dolph Ziggler going to New Japan and having matches with like Will Osprey or Kenny Omega yeah. or Kota Ibushi is probably starting to scare them a little bit. Because if they start picking up these big-name titles, like people, 
people are going to start, you know, moving over. Cody Rhodes was a big get for both Ring of Honor and New Japan, and that's something they have to worry about. So if they have to step up and pay him a little bit more money to keep him for one more year, that's one more year. Uh, I could be completely wrong. They could use him. I just don't know what you do with Dolph Ziggler at this point. I think fans love him as an in-ring performer. I think a lot of people really respect him as an in-ring performer. But his overall personality and his character has never really gotten over since like the since he had heat when he was with Vicky Guerrero. And we're taught like at this point that was God, was that 2010, 2000, 2010 2011, like that era when he won his first title basically, I think is when he had the most heat. I think when he won that Survivor Series match, they took a step in the right direction and then immediately took a step in the wrong direction with him. They flip-flopped his character almost as many times as the big show. Like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? They gave him, like, a really massive losing streak at one point to try to get him, like, the underdog Daniel Bryan thing going. They honestly just don't know what to do with him or what to do with his character in a similar manner to Cody Rhodes. Though Cody Rhodes has went on record saying, like, part of that's my fault. He's like, I got out of shape. I wasn't trying as hard as I could have been. I didn't, you know, do my best work. And I think he really found himself. And I think the change in landscape, and I've said this before, would be really good for Dolph Ziggler. But if they're paying him like double what he's going to make somewhere else and he's going to have more time at home, then fuck yeah, good for him. But I do kind of think it's like we really don't want Ring of Honor to have Dolph Ziggler and we really don't want New Japan to have Dolph Ziggler or Impact to have Dolph Ziggler. So we'll suck it up and we'll pay him a little bit more and probably make some false promises because, like, once he signs into that contract, he's locked into whatever the hell WWE wants to do anyway at the end of the day. Unless somewhere written in there is, like, you will for sure win a title, which, as we've seen kind of with Kenny Omega, it doesn't matter that, <laughs> that you re-signed a big contract in a place and you're in a key position. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to put the belt on you. Nope. They might put a, a belt on you. <laughs> they might create a that special belt. Up. <laughs> just for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the WWE champion let's, when you let's have AJ Styles, here. Kevin Owens. Let's 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 be honest here. Kenny Omega's belt should have been a trophy for the U.S. Open or whatever the fuck they wanted to call it. I mean, that's how they do their their other thing. Um, how am I blanking on the name of their tournament? G1. Um, yeah, that's the how G1. they do their G1. I mean. It's a it's a trophy he's wearing around his waist, basically. Uh, well, he's not wearing it anymore. It's an official title, but it's still. I think we all, you know, even more so than NATO, Kenny should be the champion probably. I love Okada. If they want him to keep on going, you know that's that's fine. But it's like, if I was Kenny, I'd be like, when the fuck am I going to get this? Like, you know, him and Okada, their match put it on the map. Everyone knows Kenny Omega's name in wrestling. You know, even if they don't know what he looks like, they've heard his name before. So that's here nor there. Let's talk a little bit about Kenny Omega, actually, since it's kind of transitioned uh, naturally into it. We're going to be getting at Ring of Honor's uh, next upcoming pay-per-view, Kenny and Kota Bushi, the Golden Lovers, versus Mr. Cody Rhodes. I mean, just Cody. And one of my favorite wrestlers, uh, Marty Skrull. Um, So the Bullet Club has been going back and forth. They said, we're fine. Apparently, they're not fine. Uh, 
you know, I'm just hoping with this storyline, whatever happens, if anything, Kenny gets kicked out or Cody gets kicked out and they don't try to branch the shit. Because we talked about it before in the past. You do that, you have a cool version or, or an alternate version. It's going to be like the Wolfpack, which was awesome for about a couple months. And then when they decide to say, screw it, go back to the, uh, the red, white, and black or whatever the hell with the, the, the finger poke of doom to Kevin Nash from, from Hollywood Hogan. I mean, it just completely takes the mystique out of the Bullet Club that has been building for a very long time. We have all the old members, and they're like, you know, New Japan, you know, between Tama Tonga and uh, Tongaloa and um, uh, not Hangman Page, but the other dude that's the other random guy that's on the side, uh, Bullet Club guy over in New Japan. How his name is, but, um, you know, Bad Luck Fale, all the original guys are like, I don't even know what the hell's going on with them. Then Kenny's helping uh, Kota Ibushi and saying that the Bullet Club's not fine. He's trying to make amends with uh, the Young Bucks who walked out on Cody and Marty Skrull. Marty doesn't know what's going on, but yet again, he's, you know, after having so much apprehension, instead of putting Hangman with Cody for that match, it's going to be Marty. You know, and Hangman's the one who helped help Cody beat the crap out of Kenny. So what the hell is going on? Um, could this just be maybe Kenny's going to go completely, like this is all a ploy, and they're all just going to end up beating the crap out of Kota Ibushi, sending Kenny completely heel like he was before. I don't know why they would do that, but it'd be a hell of a lot more interesting than splintering the group that's, that's doing so well, especially merch-wise especially the elite. Um, what the hell do you think is going on with all that, Chris? I mean, they're still going to do well merch-wise because people just fucking like that logo and like the idea of the Bullet Club. And I do think that they're probably turning uh, Kitty Omega face. He's probably going to... Tanahashi, I'm assuming, is going to take some time off, and I think Kenny Omega is going to fill... Which those are some big ass shoes to fill, but he's going to be kind of their Tanahashi guy for a little bit until he gets a title shot. And the weird thing you have to remember about New Japan is pretty much every wrestler in New Japan is in some sort of faction. Um, it's weird. They're almost like just like if you think of high school where you had like the jocks, the theater kids, the band kids, like the preppy kids. New Japan. <laughs> I hate to compare it to that, but that's kind of what it is with their faction. Um, a lot of their factions are smaller. So Kenny Omega, it's more of an alliance than an actual faction. I think it's going to be Kenny Omega versus, you know, the Bullet Club. And the biggest thing being that eventually the Young Bucks will side with the Bullet Club instead of Kenny Omega leading to that breakup. And the reason I think it makes sense is if either of those teams decide obviously they'll always be friends in real life and all that stuff and, and the internet with them is going to still be a thing but in the, the actual new japan product that doesn't mean as much i think that you separate them out you keep the original bullet club members minus kenny and it makes a lot of sense because maybe a year from now kenny doesn't want to be in new japan uh if he wins the title maybe he wants to go do like what aj did uh so I think it's a natural way to move him out, especially if he's talked about his contract with, with New Japan and kind of you know had some conversations there. 
And there's other ways to establish the Bullet Club and establish new talent for the Bullet Club. Obviously, you know, Kenny Omega is a very special fucking wrestler. Like him and Kazuchika Okada are probably the two best wrestlers in the entire world right now. Um, AJ Styles is definitely up there. And, of course, you know, Johnny Impact, John Morrison, and what he's been able to accomplish over the past two years has been kind of fucking nuts too. Uh, but yeah. those are like, you know, there's definitely top guys. And we've talked about them on the show. I think I've went more towards Kazuchika Okada. I think he can kind of do it with everyone and doesn't really take nights off. And then sometimes, you know, Kenny Omega always has good matches on the big stages, but if you, it's not as consistent as Okada, in my opinion. Here's a short like, question uh, in, involving this whole entire thing. If that happens, Kenny leaves, which it seems like what they're doing. Do you do some type of mini war over who's the leader between Tamatanga and Cody, or do you just place Cody in the lead even though Tomatonga's throwing a lot of shade at the uh, the new side of the Bullet Club. Well, here's what you could do. You could kick Cody Rhodes out of the Bullet Club altogether, bring in someone like NATO and kind of combine those two factions and make um, your leader, the villain, Marty Scroll, and play up the fact that he's the villain. So all along, when he's been kind of taking this stay backish role, oh, manipulating, group, because he's the fucking villain, Marty Scroll. <laughs> like if anyone, if if there's one person in the group that you should be concerned about, it's probably the guy that's called the villain. <laughs> I so love I that. I think they could go. Been I think very they could go that route. lately. Yeah, and and I mean, you could do, you could even if you want to do. Kenny Omega full babyface, you think the crowd is souring on Kazuchika Okada, you can go the route of putting Gato and fucking Okada into the Bullet Club and then build Kenny Omega and Cody versus the Bullet Club. Like, they get over their differences. They both got screwed. I was going to say, because Chaos, which he's a part of, Okada and Gato, there's only a couple other people on there. There's, There's Goto... I know, obviously, Shinsuke is not there anymore. He left uh, when he went to the WWE. Um, so that that is one of the – I mean, Okada's the leader, so that, that has some credibility. But you, you compare that to Los Cinco Venables uh, with, with NATO. They have such a dominant five guys. Or maybe it's six. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Suzuki-Goon, which is a bunch of thugs. Like, you're right, you're right about the, the whole, like, you know, different factions. But that would be – ridiculous if all of a sudden the Bullet Club, if Okada and Gato screwed over, disbanded Chaos, and went over and took that over and went complete heel. Okada, even though me and you think he's, he's amazing, Tanahashi is the most over, or is, is the biggest face, I think, in New Japan. I think Kenny's kind of close to that. Kota Ibushi's in the, that conversation, too. Um, Okada, like, it's funny. It's kind of like they treat him like John Cena a lot. Uh, where he, I mean, I think I think Cena's great, but Okada's on a different level. But I don't know if he, if it's his cockiness that he that he performs with. Um, but he's not as over. Uh, he's the champion, but he's not as over with the crowd. A lot of them boo him. So I'm great idea. It is weird because idea. Uh, are you talking to Gato right now so we can get this actually going in the next couple weeks? No, 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 no. Uh, he hasn't called me back yet, but I'm sure he'll be Damn on it. for. Live, live interview. But hey, uh, real quick before we move on, what I do want to say about this is 
the weird thing about Okada is it's opposite of John Cena. Okada's character in general, general was kind of a heel to begin with, and he's just such a fucking good wrestler that half the crowd cheers him. Um, uh. So, or at least as far as my understanding, because, you know, AJ Styles, even though being a member of the Bullet Club and doing heelish shit, he's still AJ Styles, but the fans cheered him, and that's kind of where Okada got into this weird section. I mean, the fans want great area. Kenny Omega. Yeah, he's in a gray area, but it's not like John Cena where even the fans that hate Okada respect the fuck out of him. The fans that hate John Cena generally shit all over him for absolutely Our no mark. <laughs> Yeah, so Japanese wrestling is just or like the, the interesting, even when you're talking about these factions and different factions. If we named off this many factions in WWE, people would be like, what the fuck are they doing? But in New Japan, it makes total sense because it's not its not always like this group is fighting this group. It's like this one guy is fighting this one guy from this group, and this one guy is fighting this one guy from this group, this one guy. It's never, you know, it's very rare that it's just a full-out faction battle. Um, and the only way that they ever tie that stuff together is like, hey, on this show, instead of doing, you know, a bunch of matches or whatever, singles matches. We're going to do like two really awesome singles matches and we're going to do two tag matches and then we're going to do like two six-man matches, <laughs> like six versus six. Yeah. So they, I mean, they just book it completely different. And uh, unless you stay on top of the product, man, those factions can get really confusing. But watching like Okada come out in that fucking robe and then like, you know, Kenny Omega's getting his ass beat or something. And he comes out in that robe, and like Kenny, like everyone's like, "Oh shit, Okada's about to help Kenny Omega." And he like just opens the robe, and there's a fucking Bullet Club shirt underneath it that says like Rainmaker or something. And he just comes down and destroys Kenny Omega. One, that's how you get Kenny Omega over as a superface uh-huh. and get Bullet Club back over his heels. And two, you have like rekindled their feud. You're ready for three more fucking matches for the title, and you can finally put the belt, which would be Kenny Omega. I, I, I... I just came. <laughs> but that's what I would do, you know, but Gato does a really good job. So, Gato, you keep doing you, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure whatever like he comes WWE, up with like, would be awesome. Even if, even if Gato's completely different from that awesome concept you just came up with, I have enough faith in him that he's going to do something that I'm going to enjoy. Um, but let, let's not throw shade at WWE every time we talk about New Japan. Because the Monday Night Raw was definitely really intriguing, and I like a lot of the stuff they're doing. So let's talk a little bit about their NXT product. We have, I have a couple things else I wanted to kind of talk to you about. Man, so if you watch NXT, or did, did you watch NXT? I did. Okay, I, I, there's a huge spoiler, people, if you haven't watched it yet. So I'm just giving you full, full warning. Don't listen if you haven't watched the last NXT. So during the match, awesome match between Gargano and um, and uh, Almas, uh, rematch for the belt for Johnny's career. Uh, Johnny was beating him with a submission when the ref was bumped uh, previous to that. And uh, what's his name? Ciampa came out, hit him in the back with his uh, crutch. Looks all creepy as shit. What do they call him? Like the Sicilian psycho, psychopath? I think that's, yep. that's what Moran Morales was calling him. Awesome name for him. Looking creepy as hell. Get the hell out of there. Then he got the DDT from Almas, and the match was done. Johnny is over with uh, NXT. And I thought, you know, William Regal is going to come out and call out the fact that it got screwed over and we're going to keep on doing this. 
They even had a video afterwards where Johnny Gargano was signing the paper saying that he was done with NXT. Now, they can figure this out with storyline. Um, they, they've had some house shows with, uh, you know, Trina Dad. I, for, I forgot what her name is in the, uh, in the uh, whatchamacallit, um, in NXT. But her and Almas versus Johnny and his wife, um, Candice LeRae. And, uh, you know, uh, it seems like Johnny might be going to Maine. Like, I don't know exactly what happened. We know we have to see, you know, Johnny go against um, uh, Ciampa at some point. I don't know if that's – I really hope it's not going to be in 205 Live, even though I really do like what they're doing in 205 Live. I just feel like that's a huge feud. But who knows? Maybe that could bring a rise to that. I just don't know where Johnny's going to go. It kind of sucks that this, if, if this is not a bunch of bullshit and this is all true and they're not going to reverse it with the storyline, that he never got the belt. Uh, but that happens to a lot of the guys. Uh, in NXT because they treat their NXT, you know, brand kind of like a stepping stone to the main when it should be its own brand, but I've said that at length. Um, so I'm going to throw all that at you of what you thought about it. And also, I, I listened to uh, Xbox talk to Shawn Michaels on his podcast uh, yesterday, and Shawn revealed, well, Xbox called him out, and he goes, hey, Shawn, I know that you've been working a lot with Johnny. If you guys didn't know, um, Shawn says he has a role – which is awesome. He described it when it comes, you know, training is one thing, but like when it comes to stuff, he kind of plays the Pat Patterson role, which if you guys don't know, Pat Patterson is the one that, you know, uh, was a great mind when it came to how to structure the Royal Rumble, which was his invention. And also with matches, like, you know, the wrestlers would come out with ideas of how they want to do like certain spots. And he would figure out the way to, you know, weave them together. So Sean said he learned from him because Xbox asked him, Almas Gargano at TakeOver. Did you have anything to do with that? And, of course, Sean, you know, he was like, yeah, I worked with the guys, but I don't want to take credit for that. I just kind of did a Pat Patterson type of thing, which I thought was fucking awesome. Um, And he's been really working with Adam Cole, probably because he sees a lot of himself, maybe, you know, DX era. Obviously, Adam's influenced by Sean. A lot with Gargano, who's also influenced by Sean, uh, was on the Edge of Christian, saying that was his favorite wrestler. Very influenced with the baby face. My favorite version of Shawn Michaels, 1996, uh, 1995 era Shawn Michaels, the uh, boy with the golden dream era, if you will. Um, and now he's taking Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark, under his wing. And he's really a guy, I mean, if you're going to have a guy that's going to help train the wrestlers, it's Shawn Michaels. And if you're going to have a guy to Triple H, what Pat Patterson was to Vince McMahon, it's Shawn Michaels. And Shawn's talking about, he was honest, like his kids are now uh, coming out of high school. They're, they're, they're going to college and stuff. So the fact that he's, you know, very close to NXT, he seems to be wanting to do this more and more. But I know those are two separate things altogether. But how do you feel about the match? What do you think is going to happen to Johnny? And, you know, involving Johnny with what's going on with Sean about him having to do with the Almas uh, Gargano match and also the Aleister Black, um, you know, basically helping out at the performance center. How do you like that? Yeah, I've heard Sean talk about that multiple times. I think even in one of those documentaries recently, like one of the WWE ones, he was talking about how he's kind of taken on more of a role uh, at the Performance Center, and he was going down there and hanging out, and then eventually he just ended up buying a house there, (laughs) and he watches tape with all these guys and just goes over, you know, sequences, like what sequences to hit when and where, and um, 
has been helping them with that kind of stuff, which is very Pat Patterson, like, you know, help, helping structure the match, but not taking away their individuality. And if that's the case, that's awesome. I thought the match itself was fucking great. Uh, Cian Amos has, like, surprised me, because the very first time I saw him wrestle in NXT, I was like, eh. Um, but he has grown on me so much, his character, and, uh, you know, Gargano has just always been great. Uh, but it was it was a real cool turn of events, and my guess is you're going to kind of see Ciampa and Gargano versus each other, and they're going to slowly build that 205 roster up to something special because you have a Tommy there now. If you get Gargano and Ciampa, then you can use NXT to have more of your big wrestlers, or you can do a two-hour NXT and combine 205 and NXT and have, like, two different titles, maybe yeah. a light heavyweight and a heavyweight title which I think is the way to do that. And I feel like they're slowly building there as they sign more talent. Um, my only worry is like someone like Ricochet coming in does not need to end up in 205. No. <laughs> but there's definitely certain guys that you could, you, you know, you could make definitely make a note of. But, and I mean, this uh, gives, uh, you know, Rockstar Spud something to do on 205 yep. Live because now he can sign both these guys and promoted as like, hey, I signed both of you, or I signed you so you'd have another opportunity, and then immediately do some shitty heel thing where he's like, oh, I also signed Chompley because I, I, I kind of want you guys to feud. <laughs> you know, like, um, but that was awesome. I, will wanna, I do want to say one more thing about that show is, like, uh, a match that probably isn't going to get talked about as much is that No Way Jose versus Velveteen Dream match, and I thought that was also really, really great. I think I hit everything you asked about, but maybe, if I missed anything, let me know. Um, I don't remember, but uh, I was going to say, though, with the Ricochet comment, I agree with you, but by the time that Ricochet gets out of NXT, either 205 Live is probably going to be absorbed into it, like we're suggesting, which we hope, or it's probably not going to be there anymore. I don't, I don't see another situation outside of that, because they're definitely, I think they're going to keep Ricochet there for a little while. I'm wondering if Ricochet, for being the indie guy, is getting called out by Velveteen Dream right now, um, because recently, Patrick Clark posted today, actually, a little shade throwing it at all these indie guys taking the place of the wrestlers on NXT. Now, guys, anyone that read that in a negative way, these guys use social media as a way to embody and, and uh, you know, bring, their, bring their, uh, their characters more to life. So there's no seriousness in any of this. Patrick Clark was, did start with Tough Enough, but he went and did indies. He was on the tag team with Leo Rush. So there's only two people I think that he might be kind of getting himself into a situation with, and that could either be Leo Rush to help him out, or we could be having, which I think would be awesome, especially since both of them are so influenced by The Rock, but move really well in the ring and both very differently, would be Ricochet versus the Velveteen Dream. I love Velveteen Dream. I think that he's on fire. I like him on the mic. I think that, you know, especially now that Sean specifically, apparently like he's his new Johnny, like he's really, really trying to help out. There's a thing there. Uh, there's a lot of potential. So how would you feel, Chris? How did you feel about the comments? If you read them or me just, you know, kind of reiterating them uh, with the Twitter comments. And how do you feel about possibly this leading to Ricochet versus the Velveteen Dream, a feud between the two of them? I mean, I would say, you know, like, if his Twitter upsets you, then he did his fucking job. 
because he's not supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> he's not supposed to be a fan favorite. And like, also, I would tell you if that really, really upset you, don't ever read Kevin Owens's Twitter. <laughs> like, um, or or you know, Chris Jericho's Twitter when he goes into character. Like, that's part of it. Um, I hate or Omega's. I hate when wrestlers are completely out of character on their Twitter. Uh, unless they're, you know, in multiple, you know, there, there's certain exceptions to that um, with people working cross-promotional stuff in different promotions. Like Impact, like Johnny was talking about last week, Johnny Impact was talking about, like, I'm a heel here, I'm a face here. Um, I have to work the matches differently. I have to comment differently. Obviously, he can't be locked into one character. Uh, but, like, if you're like Kevin Owens or Velveteen Dream or, you know, Dolph Ziggler, you should kind of always be being an asshole on Twitter. There's no reason for you to be a nice guy. It's just an extension of your character. It's in the same way that you used to do it. You know, like, old-school wrestlers, like, heels and faces wouldn't even tra- like wouldn't travel together. They had separate locker rooms. They wouldn't go to the same bars. The whole point was they were supposed to legitimately hate you, and they would act like assholes to fans and do those kind of things, and that's what built heat and actually made them hated. So if he made you hate, hate him by that tweet – Good fucking job. Like that's that's what he's supposed to be doing. Um, but yes, I agree with you. He, it's a fucking work. He's not really shitting on the indie scene. It didn't come off like that. He he didn't pull the gimmick where he's talking about you know, fight forever, dive, dive, like we had <laughs> last year. Oh but, god. Uh, it it's more just him, you know, taking a shot at what is probably going to be a feud. And the thought of him and Ricochet together uh, would be amazing. I, I want to know what they do with Ricochet's gimmick and what they're going to put on him. They're going to do Prince Puma. They're going to do like a King Ricochet. They're going to come up with a whole completely different name. He's another one of those guys that's had multiple gimmicks across multiple federations and done different types of characters. He's done heel, he's done face. Uh, it just really depends on what whatever company he's working for at the time needs him to do. He is one of my favorite wrestlers. So I hope they don't saddle him with like fucking a name like Cassius Ono, for instance. <laughs> oh man! It, well, no, actually, and I'll let, I'll let you finish on the on the, the topic. But I do know that information because I've seen pictures from the uh, shows that he's um, started at. Apparently, they called him by Ricochet, and he's had his normal King Ricochet type of outfits, like these in the long pants or the shorts. Um, now. Granted, that could just be for house shows, building him up, and he might premiere differently live, but I don't know why they would do that. I'm just I'm just actually surprised. Trevor Mann is actually a pretty badass name. I want him to go by Ricochet, but I'm surprised he never went by his real name in real life because it has such like a wrestler name to it, you know, already. But, yeah, the son-in-law of, of Tully Blanchard, uh, Jay, Trevor Mann, Apparently, it's going to be Ricochet in the NXT. Okay, that's awesome. That's glad. I, I'm glad because I think you know Ricochet King Ricochet is a great fucking name. It's memorable, and you can also search Ricochet and see like if you've never seen a Ricochet match, you can type that shit in the internet. And you're gonna see eight bazillion Ricochet matches, and they'll all be awesome. Absolutely. And hopefully, our you know our guest guest last week, you'll you'll see that Prince Puma. Johnny Mundo match from season fucking one of Lucha Underground, which was just phenomenal. Amazing. Uh, so check that yeah. shit out. 
incredible match, man. And, yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm very looking forward to Ricochet. I think that that would be great. That would be a high-profile feud for the two of them. You know, he's like the big up-and-comer that's coming into it fresh. And the dream has been building himself up the last year. Him and Aleister Black, him beating Black because of their feud with how much momentum those guys have had in this last year. Um, it's only it could be good things. What I love about it is that the Velveteen Dream, he is a heel because everyone loves him, everyone thinks he has potential, and he's lost a majority of the matches he's had as the Velveteen Dream. So who knows? We'll, uh, we'll definitely keep on, on watching on that whole entire thing. I'm going to throw – got 15 minutes. So, yeah, let, let's uh, throw two questions out to you uh, real quickly. You know, I'll try not to get long-winded. Uh, you do the same. But um, the first one is, with all these rumors, you know, most of them are from Mojo Raleigh's mouth. But the, all these rumors that Gronk is really considering, and this has actually been going on since before his uh, incident at WrestleMania last year, that Gronkowski, once, once he's done with the Patriots, which there's speculation that he might be done once Tom Brady's done, or this might be the last year, or, you know, he only has a little more time, that he's actually interested in WWE. You know, a lot of people, a lot of smarks throwing shade on that whole entire thing, don't realize that some of their favorite wrestlers, you know, started off as football players. But this guy's already got presence and a little athleticism. Obviously, you'd have to change a lot of stuff about him. But do you think Gronk could actually be a viable professional wrestler or would it take away too much from the product? He's re-signed until 2020, and he's making fucking – I'm not – this is not including his signing bonus or whatever oh, that they do know that. In, the, in the NHL. He's making like $17 million. So unless he just absolutely loves wrestling and just wants to do it for funsies – and like do like a one-off appearance like Stephen Mill. I do not think that you will ever see Rob Gronkowski work. At one, he's not. I mean, he's. I'm sure he's fucking athletic. Obviously, he's like one of, if not the best tight end in the league when he's healthy. Uh, I know you don't care much about football, but the dude's like an absolute fucking football monster. Uh, no, he is. It, so when he's done, he's like he's made he's made a fuck ton of money in the NFL. So for him to do something, it would have to be like Brock Lesnar, like we're going to bring you in and make you this big deal. And I don't know that they would necessarily do that because be too I mean, late. the weird thing the, well, the other thing with like a, a fighter, for instance, anyone can yeah. cheer you, right? If you're a specific sports player for a specific sports team, there's 31 other fucking teams in the NFL. I think it's 32 teams total. There's 31 other teams and fans of those teams that fucking hate that guy. So unless you're going to bring him in and make him a heel, especially with it being, you know, oh, I would essentially, essentially the empire, it being, you know, the Patriots and how much they've won over the years. Like, if you bring him in and make him a heel and he can actually go and wrestle, then sure. But you're going to have to pay him a fuck ton of money. And he's going to have to work at limited. I don't even know how old he Brock is. He's 28. So he's probably got two, oh, okay. he's probably got he's probably got 4 years of football left in him. He's had a bunch of injury problems. Maybe maybe two, I don't know, maybe he wants to hang it up early and like I said, he he's weird cuz he's making 13.17 million dollars when you include signing bonuses. 
and like WWE pays good money, but it's not paying you fucking thirteen million dollars good money for limited dates. Well, I think that so, we have a better chance of seeing him in the uh, WWE than the XFL. Let me go into one more uh, little statement before we start wrapping this up and going over. We'll go over a couple uh, on the list uh, to close things up. Maybe only one person, but he's the one that matters. But anyways, so recently Ric Flair was in an interview, and he was asked um, to build his own four horsemen, a modern concept. And kind of did it like round spot, but he kind of like – he picked Dolph Ziggler – as the the uh, the leader, so kind of himself, he picked. He said, "I would want Seth and Roman to be my Tully and Arn," and he picked Randy Orton to be the Barry Windman of the group. I thought that was really cool, but I thought it was very strange that he didn't pick AJ Styles, since they had such a bond in uh, TNA and kind of, you know, Dolph Ziggler just kind of was like out of nowhere. I didn't even know they had kind of a relationship. How do you feel about that conversation piece? I think he completely picked all the fucking wrong people in that group, but (laughs) (laughs) he's probably, Rick's probably friends with all those guys. So I'm guessing that he just went on a limit and did that. I I mean, it would work, but like also none of that makes any sense. And that just seems like Rick just picks people that he likes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love Rick. I'm not shitting. It just, that seems like those are guys that Ric Flair hung out with backstage and, and likes, and he's like, I like these dudes. Well, that makes a lot of sense. All right, uh, let's let's uh, let's kind of talk about the list. Um, you know, last time we left off, guys, if you didn't remember, we talked about Bret Hart. So let's go on to my favorite wrestler of all time, and if he's the only one that we get to talk about for the duration of the show, that's all that matters to me. Um, <laughs> I sound so cocky and arrogant. We didn't breeze over Terry Funk or anything like that. I hope we didn't, because um, I know that's your favorite, Chris. But Sean, to me, he is the Michael Jordan of professional wrestling. You know, shit. If if yeah, if 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 uh, what you call it? Um, I'll, I'll do a basketball comparison. Yeah, I'm gonna try that. If if Ric Flair is Bill Russell, he's Michael Jordan. That's how I feel. Uh, I guess AJ would be um, what's his name? That guy that's that's popular amongst the kids. In Cleveland, uh, LeBron, LeBron. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, which it doesn't work out with boxing as well because you know Rick's definitely the the Ali, but I wouldn't compare Tyson with Shawn Michaels. I'd compare Roy Jones Jr. I actually do like boxing. So that's something I actually know a little bit more about. Regardless about the stupid bullshit, he considers Rick the greatest wrestler of all time. Rick considers him the greatest wrestler of all time. I think he's the greatest in ring performer of all time, someone like AJ can succeed him. But, you know, when you compare Shawn Michaels, it's a little bit tricky. Um, I think in a comparison like this, I think that Dolph Ziggler and even AJ Styles are kind of the easy answers. Um, I don't know, because I I think the person I'm going to compare him to is kind of an easy answer as well. There's a lot of people. Everyone is influenced by Shawn Michaels. Kevin Owens is influenced by Shawn Michaels. Johnny Gargano is influenced by Shawn Michaels. You know, Adam Cole, baby, Kenny Omega, all of them have like another guy that influenced them. And usually it's Shawn Michaels is one of the in-ring guys because he's one of the best. Some people are more Brett driven, like a Roderick Strong and, and, and certain other wrestlers of, of that level. And some of them are, are Shawn, but I think a majority of them are Shawn fans. Uh, Chris Jericho is influenced by Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho is one of the best of all time. I mean, come on. Um, so I think AJ is kind of lazy just because I don't think there's styles 
exactly are like. I think AJ has more similarities stylistically to Rob Van Dam than he does Sean. I think Seth Rollins, to me, when I watch Seth Rollins perform, when I watch him move in the ring, his arrogance, how he can come off as a heel, how he can come off as a baby that's just, just a, not, not so like cookie-cutter baby like Sean had at one point, but, you know, that everyone likes him type of thing. You know, I think they have a lot in common, and it was I've heard multiple wrestlers, including Kane, Glenn Jacobs, who's been in the industry for a long time, say that guy is the closest thing to being Shawn Michaels. So when I say a comparison about Shawn, I think that Seth is a good comparison. When I say who's the greatest in-ring performer of today, which I think Shawn might be the greatest of all time, that would go towards AJ Styles. It, it, there's a difference, though, in that whole entire conversation piece. Because Ricky Steamboat was the greatest of his day at one point. Ricky Morton was. Ric Flair was. You know, Chris Jericho was. There's been a lot of great, but Sean seems to be a, a standard, if you will. Where I, that's what I think he compares to with AJ. A little bit more, definitely with their gimmick, but AJ has a little bit of Ric Flair in him. He has a little bit of, 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 of everyone, you know, that he's learned from over the years. So it's a little bit different. Seth Rollins, I think, is much more... He's 75% Shawn Michaels, 25% Triple H, basically, in build-up, uh, to me, at least, uh, between gimmick and also uh, performance. Chris, who do you got? This one might actually blow your mind a little bit, but I'm going to go, like, if you're talking heel air, Shawn Michaels. Uh, for me, Tetsuo Nato, I think. I love that. I knew you were going to say that almost a one-in-one for the way he carries himself in the ring, his expressions, the way he rolls and does the uh, kind of the Burt Reynolds play, playgirl pose in the center off the clothesline. Uh, Just his over, his over, his fucking overly cocky demeanor as a bad guy. The kind of thing that made people love DMX or DX, not DMX. Oh, X go give it to you. Uh, No DX. The things that people loved about DX, uh, I think NATO encompasses a lot of that Shawn Michaels. And if I'm going just like, I I mean, I think Seth Rollins is a great comparison. I don't think you're that far off with him. I would lean more towards uh, AJ Styles. And the reason I would say this is the way they structure their matches, not necessarily the moveset, but the way that they structure their matches. And if you're just talking about, you know, absolute like bangers of matches, I think he compares a lot to Kenny Omega where like, Sean would have a bunch of matches that didn't fucking matter. And then when he really turned on the gas, when he thought it counted the most, he would have some of the best matches you've ever seen in your life. Uh, so in that sense, I compare him to Kenny Omega. Not that Kenny Omega ever has a bad match, because Shawn Michaels and Kenny Omega, they can't have a bad match. They're just that fucking good. But <laughs> that that would be uh, my two compare or my comparison. But uh, yeah, I think Seth Rollins is definitely, I think Seth does a lot of the same, Shawn Michaels' structures of matches, and I think that has a lot to do with his close relationship with H and uh, Triple H realizing that he's more of an agile type guy, where Triple H's style is more, you know, prodding and technical and old school heel. Um, so the comparison to Shawn Michaels there, is, it makes a lot of sense. And I think if he would have came back as a face uh, after that knee injury, I think that you could have had like the babyface Shawn Michaels type guy they've been looking for uh they kind of botched that up a little bit because they wanted to put the belt on on finn uh but yeah i think you could have easily got that same thing out of seth rollins and i think that's also a great comparison yeah it's just 
it's funny. It's it's like I said. It's like usually uh, a lot of people say Sean. Steamboat's another one that's like in ring wise. I feel like a lot of people. Maybe the previous generation was how people are perceiving Shawn Michaels as being an influence in their style, you know, in the ring. But there's just certain guys, like I said, like your Ric Flair's. I mean, it, it goes it, it goes even past that. But I don't know enough about those wrestlers. But like you, your Ric Flair's, your Ricky Morton's. Your Dynamite Kids to an extent, you know, your Macho Man Randy Savages, your 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 uh, Steamboats, then you got Sean who's in there, um, Chris Jericho, uh, Eddie Guerrero. There's just certain guys, AJ Styles, Kenny Omega. I'll say even Seth Rollins and AJ, and I want to see the two of them tangle up at one point soon. I've, I I can't believe we've never gotten a really good feud between Seth and AJ. They, they would make an incredible match, but. You know, there's certain guys that's like, yeah, their mic skills might not be the greatest. Some some of them, some of them. Flair and fucking Jericho on a different level. But their performance and what they do in the ring is absolute magic. And they don't have to just be big and lumbering. They can just do something and make someone else look incredible. I'll give Dolph Ziggler the benefit on that concept, too. I always say he's great at selling and making other people look great. Bret Hart, to an extent, during, like, 92 Bret Hart, you know, building that, that type of concept. But... Oh, God damn. I love wrestling. Ah, Chris, uh, would you like to – has AJ Styles ever gone against uh, Seth Rollins back when he was uh, Tyler Black or anything like that? Have we ever gotten those two guys in the ring? I believe that you do have some Ring of Honor crossover with them. I'm not sure if they have a one-on-one match, but I do think that you have some Taylor, look that up. Uh, Tyler Black and, and AJ Styles matches. Uh, just going out on that, I would say the only thing about Dolph Ziggler that throws me off this category is the fact that he tries to encompass so much of Shawn Michaels' shit in his own moveset yeah. that it's almost a gimmick, like a parody almost. or Not a parody, but like it's like going to see a cover band in some sense. And I hate that, especially like with him in the Rumble when he does the hang out the ropes like 85 times in one match. If you go back and watch previous Royal Rumbles, not this year's, but the previous ones. So... Uh, that's why he immediately didn't get my comparison because trying like move for move for someone that at some point, that's just, you know, Jay lethal doing the macho man impersonation. Uh, I agree. And that's Jay lethal's another guy I forgot completely uh, too cold Scorpio. There's, there's a lot of great guys, but yeah, I do agree. Um, Dolph originality has always been his problem. Even the person I compared him to, uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, was completely original. They have a very, very similar track record, and they're both great workers for their eras. But anyways, guys, we've got to wrap this up. It's been a great show. Me and Chris have been rambling about wrestling for a while. I hope you enjoy Elimination Chamber, and I just want to thank my co-host. Chris, have a wonderful evening, sir, and uh, I enjoyed this show after being off for a week. Yeah, you too, man, and uh, hopefully – Black Panther was awesome. I'm going to go see it this weekend, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it was incredible. You'll definitely have to check it out. But, yeah, that's the show. Guys, uh, there might be a hurricane coming through. That's the only thing I'm going to say. So, uh, future's looking bright. Have a great night. See you.